the, the, the world is full of surprises and we have actually been trying to measure and keep track of the number of times that our instincts are right. And guess what? It's not only not very often, it's almost never. That was Grant Gooding and this is Guild Stories. Hey y'all and welcome to Guild Stories, the podcast where every person has a story and it's the stories that connect us all. I'm Justin Rickliffs, founder and CEO of Guild Content, husband of Brooke and father of five young people. And I'm joined today by my lovely co-host who happens to be my wife as well. Hey guys, I'm Brooke, owner of Reclaim the Home, Justin's wife and mother of five. We're so grateful you're here. This podcast is a place where we'll explore the stories of hustlers, dreamers, and doers who are going for it by pursuing meaningful work and living life with purpose. Welcome to Guild Stories. All right, so welcome back to season three, episode two. Um, you guys heard Andre Davis last week, which was awesome. And Andre, we, we kind of foreshadowed today's guest. So we, um, Andre was the generous connector to a super smart dude. Um, and, and more than that, a really interesting, awesome individual. And, and frankly, one who, uh, pre COVID, I would have loved to have sat, sat down and had a beer with or a coffee with to get to know more. So you and I, um, we'll get to know each other more on the show today, Grant. And, um, I can't wait to kind of hear all your insights and intellect, um, and pick your brain about your Garmin watch and your new AirPods and all sorts of cool stuff that's going on in your world beyond uh, work. So we've got the founder and CEO of Proof Positioning. You can find them at proofpositioning.com. Um, and I think for those of you who know the Guild content story, you will appreciate why his, uh, his work is resonating with us in terms of emotional intelligence, emotional capacity, um, and in his particular world, emotional data, and how that impacts um, brands and companies and individuals. So without further ado, Grant Gooding, welcome to the show, my man. Oh, thank you. See, now I need to figure out what the hell it was that you and Andre were talking about. You guys are honorary, so <laughs> um, whatever the precursor was, that wasn't published on yeah. what I'm walking into here. <laughs> yeah, no, we're... Um, we're, we're honored to have you, man, and, and again, selfishly eager to hear more about the work you're doing and, and your story and how you've grown a cool, successful company here in KC. Um, so, I mean, I, I guess maybe kind of walk us back to the beginning. Like, who are you? Where'd you come from? What's your story, bro? And and, um, and then we'll we'll just see where this crazy rabbit trail takes us. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a local, so I uh, grew up in Lee Summit still live here i like moved back apparently that's a thing by the way statistically you do research on that like it's some it's some insane number of people that live within like five miles of the, where they grew up uh, which i fall into that category for some me too <laughs> uh, yeah it's weird um i saw a stat on it once and i was like oh my it was crazy like 80 percent or something like that. um and i did not make that up on the spot i'm recalling to the best of my ability um uh, but the, uh, that, sorry, that was supposed to be like a 80% or whatever, 99 or you make up a number of get up on the spot. I just say 80, yeah. 20 rule all the time. And it kind of gets me through. <laughs> it was a hell of a lot. It was a hell of a lot of people <laughs> that, that live within five miles of where they grew up. Um, went to, uh, William Jewell. I got a scholarship, um, to go sing. Was a vocal music performance major with a business minor, Whoa. and uh, was a classically trained 
singer, believe it or not. Um, sang, got to sing in uh, Carnegie Hall and um, all over Europe, different venues, St. Mark's, St. Mark's Cathedral and yeah, like stuff like that. Um, I mean, hold on, hold on, and, hold on, hold on, hold on. You just said stuff like that. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, um, I played shortstop for my shitty little league baseball team and I sang at Carnegie Hall. Come on, man. Like, that's awesome. That's so cool. Sorry, you cut out. Say again. Oh, no, no, no. I'm, I'm just, um, yeah, you, you slipped those those anecdotes in like they were enough. Like, like it's, uh, you missed a pop fly and fourth grade like yeah it's things like that <laughs> stuff like that is what i did that's awesome well it's not like i was like center stage like luciano Pavarotti singing and with a microphone you know it was in a choir it was in small choirs and 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 uh with um uh, ensembles and with orchestras and stuff like that um but it's fun i like i like i'm a music nerd so i like music and um but i like business more so I abandoned that major and really liked business and started a, a little crappy company uh, when I was at Jewel and um, I sort of stopped going to class and they may have very politely asked me to leave and because uh, I lost all my scholarships and <laughs> just was not going to class. I was run, trying to run a company that was actually working and um that uh, that led to me kind of leaving school and trying to figure out how to make business work on my own and not doing a very good job and uh, eventually going back to school, um, which this was a thing. So I remember I was like, well, I'm just going to go to UMKC because it's my hometown and I was working at the time and I was like, I'm just going to go back. And I remember I went in and they're like, oh, we need transcripts. And I'm like, right. So my transcripts from Jewel were sent over and I had an accumulative GPA of 0. 0.75. Whoa. Whoa. And, and they were like, you can't go. They're like, you can't go to school here. And I was like, what? I didn't re- like, it never occurred to me that they wouldn't let me go to school. <laughs> and so I had to go to, I had to go to uh, uh, junior college for a year and get, and show them that I wasn't like a degenerate. And so I took like, <laughs> so I took like, calculus, biology, organic chemistry, like all the hardest classes I could think of. And I took like seven classes in one semester and aced all of them. Actually, it's not true. I got a B in calculus. I still don't understand calculus that well. And, and, and I don't even deserve a B in calculus. And, and uh, went back and then they let me in and then finished school um, and ended up graduating with honors somehow. Then when I got an MBA in uh, marketing with qualitative uh, analysis emphasis, and then um, then I was on my way to law school to be merchant acquisitions attorney. Um, so I worked at a couple of law firms, small, kind of learning that space, and I really didn't like it, but I really liked the analysis mm. side of it. And so I started basically uh, doing uh, front-end broker work, really, which is like putting deals together and then doing the analysis on those deals. I got accredited as an expert in valuations. So 
uh, valuing companies, putting them together, and then, you know, packaging them to sell, sell stuff like that. And then I rolled over into another company uh, called BTS, which is where I met Courtney, who is my, um, who is my COO. She's, uh, uh, she was the COO at that company. And she, I managed to convince her to come run this company and worked there for a handful of years. And then, um, and really started monkeying around with valuation methodologies, um, and failures. So here's the reason why I focus on failure. So it's a little dirty, dark secret, but most acquisitions actually fail. And by fail, I mean, let's say that, okay, so let's say that you guys decide that, um, as kind of a content agency, you want to, you want to buy another content agency, right? You see this, this other agency and they're based in six somewhere, right? Uh, Des Moines. And they're maybe a little bit smaller, but they've got some good clients. They got some talent. And, and a lot of times it makes a lot more sense to buy a competitor or a, a colleague and uh, combine your efforts than it is to try and build it. A lot of times the math makes a lot more sense. So here's the math on that. So let's say you do it and it's all fair. Everybody's happy. There's actually only a 30% chance that that acquisition in three years is going to be successful. That means you have a 70% failure rate. Now, how the heck do you explain that? Because it's not like you don't understand the content agency business. It is your business. Mm. So how do you, how do you expect, how do you explain the fact that what you bought will be uh, is most likely to be uh, financially insolvent in such a short amount of time. It makes no damn sense. So I started looking at a lot of those uh, failures and started analyzing like, why is that? Um, how, how do these failures happen? Why do they exist? Because most of them don't make sense. Mm. And what we found is that um, because it's a highly, anal- it's, a, it's a highly analyzed environment, right? So if you have really smart, uh, brokers and attorneys and, 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 and people in finance and accounting that are, they're combing through data and, 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 and financial information, uh, employee information, customer information, sales data, logistics, and they're looking for problems. I mean, that's their, what's your lawyer's job, right? Their job is right. going in like an account to find all the crap that could possibly go wrong to decrease the valuation. And so it's not like, you know, that people are doing this on a whim. So if these things, if these organizations have been analyzed, you know, forwards and backwards, how the hell do you explain those failure rates? And so we started looking at what wasn't being measured. And we found one big uh, gap. And that gap was um, something that was very subjective and very difficult to measure. And that was why are customers doing business with these organizations? Mm. So, so, and we found that that was fairly consistent across the board as to why um, the, the, these, these failures were happening. When we look back, we, we did these like autopsies to you know, find out. And so what that essentially just means is um, there's a reason that customers do business with you. And there's a reason that people do business with that company in Des Moines that you bought. But you probably don't know why they're doing business with you. And if you don't know that, you certainly don't know why they're doing business with another company. It's very difficult to figure out. And you have your own theories, right? But they're completely biased because you're, you, you, you've created the systems and the processes and, and, and all those things. And, 
And is that really the reason? Is it because they like you? What if it was something as ridiculous as they like you? How are you supposed to repeat that? And when you don't really know, it's very easy to change it. So what would happen is you would look at this Des Moines agency and you would say, all right, look, they have some really great content writers. They've got some really great operations people and account managers. Um, there's a couple of like office staff people that don't really make sense. Uh, we already do that really well here. So we can actually kind of eliminate those positions. We're going to drop a lot of money to the bottom line, which is great. You know, you can high five each other for that and create some efficiencies in the, in the merging of the two business models. Well, what we don't know and what typically happens is there was a nuance about why people did business with that company that you just changed without realizing it. Mm. So it could be as something as simple as you eliminated, you know, you eliminated Betty at the front desk and she was nice. But what we didn't know is that Betty is why people did business with that company. It sounds insane, but in the commoditized business where you can do business, you can do business with almost anybody. Why was it Betty? People love Betty or Betty was incredibly responsive if something bad happened. So people started calling Betty. Hey, Betty, can you know what's going on? Oh yeah, sorry, your account manager is in a meeting. I'll get her. And so all of a sudden, Betty actually started, starts to become your brand. And you don't really know that. You just know that she's awesome, right? So if you're in Des Moines agency, you could say, hey, Justin, you probably shouldn't get rid of Betty. She's awesome. But you're like, yeah, but the math on this really doesn't make sense. So you get rid of her. And what you did is you just eliminated a, a, a potentially uh, uh, actual competitive advantage or a, some type of perceived value um, without actually even realizing it. So then when you start losing clients over there, you're like, what the heck's going on? Why, why are we bleeding? Um, and you're trying to figure out where to stick your fingers or plug the holes, but you have no idea you know, what you're looking at. And it was Betty. Um, that happened all the time. And so we saw that, um, boy, if we could really figure out a way to measure and quantify those reasons that people do business with organizations, we really can't quite have something. So that's what we did. And we, um, we monkeyed around with some, with some methodologies and, and, uh, um, we use survey, we use surveys to gather our raw data, which is about the digital surveys. It's about the unsexy, you know, methodology you could, you could think of, but, um, we built a lot, we built a lot of systems, software and algorithms that work with raw survey data. And that allows us to um, quantify what we refer to as emotional resonance. So now essentially what we have is we have the ability to quantify how emotionally resonant an idea is. And it turns out if we have that information, it's very easy to answer what we call burning questions and burning questions we define as those questions that are keeping you from making money tomorrow. Um, it turns out that the most challenging questions that face businesses typically aren't in the areas of finance or accounting. They're in, they're things like, why aren't people buying this product? Why, why did they stop buying this other product? We've always wanted to move into this industry sector but we're nervous because we don't know a whole lot about it. We think there's a big opportunity, but it's going to cost us a fortune to get in there. So should we do it? Well, uh, the way that we use a combination of Likert analysis, um, conjoint timing mechanisms, and a bunch of other things, we can, 
we can we can tell you. I mean, almost unequivocally, like this is the reason people aren't buying this product, and here's what you do about it. And um, so what we have is we have a pretty dangerous weapon. And then we have some clients that they call it their secret weapon. We can we can measure and identify highly complex multivariate situations that exist in you know in between people's ears. So that's what our that's what our company does all day. But but doesn't but don't we as uh, intelligent, educated humans make purchasing decisions based on logic and data and things of that nature? I mean, what's emotional data have to do with any of our actual decision-making process? I feel like that's a softball question. Have you been doing research? <laughs> no, I mean, it, it, it's, it's tongue-in-cheek, right? And, of course, it's leading, and, and, it, it, and it is a softball. It's like we pretend, or at least maybe project, that we're all walking around like fully grounded with no woundedness or fear or anxiety or joy or whatever other factors come into um, play. And we're like, Oh, we, we bought an Apple watch because Apple watch was the perfect thing um, to satisfy my need to tell time. <laughs> or I drive this thing, right? I mean, it's um, or what, whatever, whatever the examples are, you answer the softball question. Cause it's, it's, a perfect like I think we tell ourselves this story all the time that we're logical, rational humans that make decisions based on fact. And your your brain kind of tricks itself into thinking that you use the logic factors of the brain. So we have um, uh, so this is in an area that I, I kind of speak on quite a bit, and I'm not a neuroscientist, don't pretend to be. Um, but uh, I read enough about it and 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 learn enough about it. I read white papers on neuroscience. I mean, I don't know if you can come up with a nerdier <laughs> thing in that. And I'll tell you something. It is not as much fun as it sounds. Um, it is not exciting to read a white paper in neuroscience. And the even more challenging part is a lot of times it's really hard to figure out what the hell they're talking about. Um, <laughs> so uh, a lot of times you just got to stick with um, Stay in uh, uh, kind of reading the executive summary and be like, okay, I think I understand what this is. Let me see if I can dive in and actually follow what this dude's saying. Because most of the time, if you're reading a, 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 a white paper around neuroscience, they wrote it for other neuroscientists. Yeah, I can honestly but, tell uh, you, I've, so, I've never done that, dude. I don't know what that feels like. So well, go ahead. Well, I, I don't recommend it. I don't recommend it. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, so really trying to figure out how to take an idea and uh, uh, about how the brain works in a very complex and intricate manner and then use it is um, uh, actually kind of a a beautiful way to, because all you have to do is take something complicated and and make it very simple, right? There's a direct correlation that exists between simplicity and value. And that's true in, in, in product development and sales and in everything in life. If you can make it simple, uh, then you can make it more valuable. And um, that, which is kind of what we do with data, right? We take simple, we take, we take complex data and, and turn it into a very simple idea so that our clients can go, oh, so I just got to do this? Like, that's correct. Just go do that. And, you know, and then good things are going to happen. Some mathematical certainty. Uh, so what, what happens is uh, we, we tend to be, we tend to be um, uh, like, like predisposed to communicate a complex idea to someone in a complex way. So let's say that you build a, a bicycle or something and you, you spend all this time like engineering the bicycle and how it works and, and you're trying to communicate, you're trying to sell the bike. Well, what you tend to do is kind of sell the complexity of what it is. Um, 
because that's kind of how you understand it. That's how you've had to think about it in order to get it to the point to which you could sell it. The problem is, is that you're selling to what you, what's called the wrong part of the brain, right? So there's a really cool book called um, uh, Pitch Anything, by, written by a guy named Oren Klaff, that has done a ton of, where's a pitch man, he's worked at a ton of, of work in, in understanding a lizard brain. And he's, he's, he's totally right about, about selling to the wrong part of the, part of the brain and, 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 and how complexity is your, is your enemy. So um, what happens is, is information, when it travels into your brain, it doesn't go directly to your smart brain. That's actually the last place it goes. The smart brain is the, the, uh, the, the frontal lobe. That's where you know, we have the ability to do you know, geometry. Some people have the ability to do calculus, not me. Um, and, um, and, but that's our, kind of where our smart logic stuff is. Well, that part of our brain's job is actually just to process options. That's it. Um, the, the information as it comes to us goes in through our, you know, like the, into the amygdala and, the, and the, uh, uh, the, these parts of the brain that process memories and emotion and, and things like that. And, and that's your, you know, people who are like fight or flight, that's the first reaction that you have. And if you're talking about something complex, the brain just like gives up. Like, dude, nope. I don't want to learn that. I don't care. I'm out. So uh, the way that you should sell the bike is you'd say, this is an easy way to go. And the brain would be like, oh, I need to go. Perfect. I like, I like. Now, I have a, now I have an easy way to go. And, and if it's necessary, um, maybe you should sell a little bit of complexity in the event that didn't just do it for you. But, but when you say this is an easy way to go, your brain goes, oh, I get that. I mean, I know what that means. So I'm not fighting and I'm not sliding. So I'm, uh, I've, I've accepted it. Now you can move up into the midbrain, which is where social cues happen. Now I'm trying to figure out if I trust you or not. Right. And then when, I, and then if I, and then if I figure out I trust you based on like some social norms and things, then I go into the smart brain and now I'm processing details. So that part of the, that smart part of the brain, it's like problem solving, but that's not how your brain um, accepts information. So you're doing it wrong. Don't sell complexity. So emotive simplicity. If you can sell emotions in a very simple way, you have the highest probability of getting someone to accept your message. So what we do is we measure um, how emotionally resonant, very simple. We will take a complex idea and we'll break it into small pieces and we'll measure how emotionally resonant those pieces are and then we can come back to a client. We can say, look, say this, sell it this way, however you want to creatively manifest it and you're, you're, you're saying the right thing to the right people to get them to buy. It's brilliant. Your bike analogy reminds me um, last weekend, doesn't matter, when um, my wife and I were driving and we just purchased, uh, along with like the rest of humanity during quarantine, we purchased bikes. Um, we ha I had an old bike from college. She never had a bike um, since she was a kid. Um, our kids are like running out of things to do. So we're like, Oh, this sounds awesome. Let's go have family bike rides. Right. And so we spent, um, far too much time and money on two grown ass adult bikes. And we're driving up the street and there's a billboard for the bike shop. Um, I'll just plug them because our worldwide audience will love them. Um, I'm saying that fun in, in a joking way. The, the shop is Eric's and, the, the billboard is a picture of a dude on a mountain bike trail with their logo. And it had one phrase that said, 
we pedal good bikes. <laughs> I was like, awesome. Yeah, that's all, That's exactly what they do. Like that that connected to, to your story of um, help me go. Uh, this, the, I like to go, a bike will help me do that. Right. So the, the, I think it's, it's just a fascinating way because most people or most brands, I'd, I'd, I'd imagine at least some that, um, we've stumbled across as well, have this really, um, maybe tricky idea around, Hey, we have to like be really specific about our product and our features and our benefits and be really like, talk about the technical details of all the stuff that it took to get to this point in our development. Um, if I'm hearing you though correctly, you're like, hey, take all the complexity out and put it in simple form because it's going to hit that lizard brain and people are going to decide pretty quickly whether they want to go to the trust stage or not. Yeah, that's right. And your, your gut is that the complexity that you build is where the value lies. And um, that may be. Uh, you may You may not be wrong about that. That may be your competitive advantage, but how you communicate that is critically important. So uh, we pedal good bikes is a great, I mean, that's a, it's a, a creative tagline that, you know, a, a, a marketing ag- an agency or an ad agency or somebody came up with. It's good. It's, it's brilliance and it's simplicity, right? Um, and there's nothing about that that would get you confused. So imagine if it was, it was the same image and the language was uh, the best 14 speed bikes on the planet. Well, you've really just narrowed, like you wouldn't have bought that bike because that, that message is now highly segmented to a very specific type of person. So specific, uh, actually, um, and I don't know anything about bikes, I don't even know if 14 speeds are a thing, but, um, but, but so specific, in fact, that using a billboard would not be a mathematically sound way to advertise that bike, right? Uh, people that know what a 14 speed bike is are probably uh, congregating in other areas and it's much easier to reach them. Um, so there's, there's lots of, there's lots of ways to consider how you communicate your message, the level of detail you use and what segments you are appealing to in the event you're saying that we want to come in and identify that, Hey, saying a 14 speed bike is actually, uh, not going to help you at all. And you should never, you should not say that. And that's the reason why this billboard isn't working. Right. Or, um, or whatever, but. Yeah, if you, it doesn't matter what you're selling. If you want to get inside the brain, um, you need, think about cars, right? Cars are something that everybody can kind of wrap your head around. Well, how do you, uh, how do you classify the, the brands that are growing? And, and if you think about it, there's a, there, there's a direct link uh, or there's a direct correlation really that exists between how you classify that particular brand and their growth. So um, like, when the last time you saw a Subaru commercial, all the Subaru commercials are the same, right? It's, uh, it's like, it's typically like a, a parent and a parent is putting their child into a Subaru and there's an accident and they make it seem very real, right? Like the trauma and the, the, the sounds and, and, and the reactions and, and they do a brilliant job, whatever their agency is. And, and at the end of it, you come away with, it's a safe car. It's the safest. It's the safest. Like that's their thing. Period. That's what they own. Right. They own safe. They they stole it really from Volvo. Um, and what? How's the super super brand is an extremely strong brand. Like look at Tesla. You can classify a Tesla. It's an electric car. I mean, even if you just say that, if I, if I went around and I said electric car, what brand am I talking about? How many people are going to say Tesla? Almost all of them. Yeah. 
Yeah. How come they didn't say Volt? Right. I mean, there's 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 some style reasons for that, but um, uh, there, if you can simply classify a product or a service, your brain will accept it. And when it accepts it and understands it, it's almost impossible to get it to go away. So uh, it's a way that you can kind of hack the mind. If you can, if you can communicate and position your organization in a simplistic way, you have, you, you've really cheated. Um, and you can't do that with complexity. And, and is that, are you, are you, is the work that you and your team doing, are you helping, I mean, I mean obviously you're helping companies and organizations understand that and adopt that. Um, is there resistance to that concept? Like, are, are there arguments that come in and they say, no, 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 like, look, we need to continue to talk about our complexity and our research and development and all these nuances of why we're better. Um, and I'm sure there's there's all sorts on the spectrum, but how open in today's kind of marketing landscape are companies becoming towards this concept, towards your concept, towards your company's concept? Well, uh, my, my answer is probably a little biased because if companies are working with, uh, I mean, they're, they, they're kind of naturally gravitating towards sure. our way of thinking. Um, but what I like, uh, I would say our most successful clients are ones that will say things like, you know, I'll, we'll put our seats on backwards. If you tell us it'll make us more money <laughs> that, and that's, that's the right, that's the right frame of mind. Um, to some extent, it's important to have a, 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 a a set of core values and a culture and, and, and things that are important to the mission of the organization. But uh, we actually wrote a white paper on this. Most of the time, those things no one cares about. Mm. And they can be so important to you that you even like have them on external facing communications. They're like every time you do that, you're losing money. Every time you say, well, we're employee owned. All right. So here's the math. Every time you say you're employee owned, you're losing money. So do you want to, keep losing money and say that or do you want to take it off your logo and your business card? Um, it, I can't force you to do anything, but I can tell you every time you say that you're saying like the 19th most emotionally resonant idea to the people that are spending money on you currently. So I, that's not very good. There's no medal for 19th place. So when you're saying that, just realizing it, just realize that you're saying it for yourself and you're making yourself feel better, but you are losing money. Every time you do it. And if you're cool with that, so keep it's, doing it. Right. Yeah. That, and that's up to them. And they're like, we want to keep doing it. Okay. It's your company. You can do whatever you want. You can step out of the bill. Well, you probably can't do that. Right. But you can do whatever you want. You can run the thing on the ground tomorrow. It's your company. Do whatever you want. But if you want to make more money, we can show you how to say things that are different to different people and, uh, or, or just saying the right thing to the right people, uh, in order to maximize the amount of, um, traction you're getting so so when you when your team leads those companies and leaders through this um how you mentioned earlier gathering the data through digital survey methodology is that like are you interviewing their customers are you interviewing people like their customer like how, how are you kind of gathering the data sets in the beginning dumb guy questions yeah we we spent an obscene amount of time trying to figure this out so get my background was in qual right so my background was in assessing qualitative information that is gathered from interviews one-on-one conversations uh focus groups things like that and the issue i had with those is that um they're really good for certain things right like everything everything is good for certain things right there's no universal solution to really anything 
Um, but if you're out, if you, if you don't have a lot of great ideas, if you're out of ideas, uh, yeah, you need to, like, qual is great. Do an interview, interview your customers, talk to them, uh, because they will give you hypotheses to work with. If you want to see how someone can interact with a physical product, yeah, focus groups are awesome for that. But we don't make decisions as human beings in the format of a focus group. So there's a wildly biased methodology if you want to figure out uh, how someone's going to do something. For instance, it's not like you gather like, you know, eight of your best friends and to go down and buy a case of beer. That's not how people buy things. Um, we buy them individually. So when you put someone in a format like that, it's cool for ideation, but a lot of times people take that information to the bank. On the other side, you have quant, right, which is um, uh, you know, who, what, when, where, how data. Um, and you try and figure out why people are doing things based on what they're doing. Well, that's not a very sound methodology either because it, it leaves you guessing to try and um, uh, anticipate, um, you know, uh, this person comes in and buys a cup of coffee every day because, well, why? If you get close to their house, they like the coffee, uh, they have a crush on the barista. I mean, all those answers are correct. So now you have to go vet all those. Well, what if there's 50 more things you're not testing? Um, so it's a lot easier to use a blended model, which is what we use a blended qual-qual method, where, um, and, and surveys are, surveys are of, of all the methodologies we've tested. I mean, we've tested eye movement. We've tested all kinds of stuff to try and figure out the best way to uh, measure emotion. And we found that this is the most accurate. And it allows us to put numbers behind it, which means we can scale it. Um, but most of the time, every organization that that is a client, and, we, and it's not, not everybody. I mean, we've got about um, well, maybe 200 clients, I'd say. And they're sitting on it. They're already sitting on all the information. It's, uh, it's, your, it's your database of existing customers. Uh, it's people that are former customers and it's the people in your prospect list, whether those are businesses or they're consumers or they're online purchasers, we call that your universe. So uh, we essentially just take what's already there and can utilize an existing asset and, and go and figure all this out without even having to do a whole lot of work. We get, uh, we get most projects done in 45 days. So it's, super duper fast and we typically don't have to go and spend any money on acquiring a database or anything like that. That's awesome. What are, uh, if, if you can share of those 200, what are some big ahas or some big success stories or folks that you helped take from, Hey, we were struggling to really, I'm sure in many cases you've taken them from struggling to articulate to clearly identified, right? Um, are, are there examples that kind of instantly pop to your mind that you, that you can discuss? Um, most of them don't like, don't like us talking about, sure, uh, sure. cause it's, it can be kind of in, intricate uh, and, uh, uh, but we, we have some, we have some clients that have achieved some pretty remarkable things and, and, um, uh, absolutely astonishing growth um, and almost to the point where it doesn't even sound real and they're very many of them are very not nice and they they give us a lot of credit um, the fact of the matter is is we're just 
showing them information that allows them to actualize uh, and, and do something, right? We, we can't solve any problems. We can say, hey, look, you, you, you're off by a half a degree here, right? You're really close. The problem is, is every time you say this, their brain goes in a different direction and you're losing them. So stop saying that and you'll be fine. Sometimes it's, uh, okay, you have four features for this software. Uh, feature one, they love. Feature two, they love. Feature three, they don't understand. And feature four, they like. So when you're, they're not buying at the level that you expect them to buy because they look at thing three that they don't understand. And not that it's not brilliant, uh, or, or, or the feature is not important. They just don't understand it. So just get rid of it. Hmm. Like, oh, so we need to decrease our price? Like, no. Actually, by, by eliminating a feature, you are increasing the overall value of hmm. what you're selling. So um, just get rid of feature three. And they're like, well, what do you mean? Do we got to trash it? It costs us a quarter million dollars to build feature three. They're like, yeah, you can leave it in there. Just don't sell it. Just don't talk about it. When you sell it. <laughs> right. You have to take it off your take it off your website, and just sell feature one, two, and four. And guess what's going to happen? And we look at the bottom of their funnel, and boom, uh, you know, you see thirty percent, thirty percent increase in bottom of the funnel action. Um, we told people to kill products and say, um, "Hey, stop selling this thing," or um, actually, so here's a, here's an interesting thing. We, we play a little fun game with ourselves because we're nerds, and that is we come in and we, we understand we understand organization for you know I mean the best we can, right? We really don't need to understand the organization very well, believe it or not. Um, we can do stuff completely, and we have done several projects completely blind. But when we come in uh, to present data, even though we had like maybe no contact with the client at all, we we almost seem like we're psychics. Because we ask, we ask questions that are, uh, you know, we, just because we have a data set to work with. We're like, so what are you saying different to this customer that you're not saying to this customer? And they're like, oh my God, you're saying different things. Aren't you doing that? Mm-hmm. Like, well, because we can, we can just see it. So we say, you know, you should flip them. Say this, like switch your messages. Say message A to customer B and say, and say message B to customer A. And um, you should see you should see increases in adoption or a decrease in attrition or something like that. Um, we found that we've seen sometimes that digital funnel, like we really like digital digital funnels, are fun to work with. Uh, we can actually measure why people leave funnels, which is a super dangerous um, oh, man. thing that we can do. Yeah, and a lot of people can analyze what's happening inside of a funnel, but we can measure what's happening outside of the funnel, which is actually more important. Because we can figure out why people left in phase two. So why did they leave once they were on the landing page? Um, we can tell you why. Uh, so there's been little things where we can go, hey, uh, remove this question. Remove this um, this um, input box, right? So, hey, we need to gather these three pieces of information. Get rid of, you know, uh, information set number two and your uh, attrition will decrease. Little stuff like that. Do you ever, in the context of your company communication, use the nerd emoji with the glasses? 
<laughs> uh, so I, I wear glasses. Um, so yeah, because well, it's almost like my, yeah, that's awesome. And, you you and called then, yourself a nerd. So I was like, yeah, we, we have a, a, a young, smart fella on our team who, um, has volunteered the, the nerd emoji for himself and it's perfect. It's just great. We love it. Well, the, the nerd emoji has kind of like a, uh, a, like a gangly nerdy smile on his face, you know, which is, uh, at least I feel like it's an accurate representation of my, of my, uh, of my personality. So I do use nerd, <laughs> nerd emoji. So great. So <clears throat> it's related cause it's, it's part of your work, but on your bio page on the, on your website, um, you're you're involved clearly in helping businesses grow, make more money. You your own company's growing and and serving over two hundred clients, which is awesome. Um, but dude, you're you're involved at you know a board or an affiliation level with like eight ten ish type um, nonprofits, and, and you even talk about nonprofit research for um, your your proof positioning methodology. Um, why is that important to you, man? And like, where does that come from? And how do you maybe approach a nonprofit? Is there a success story there in terms of them clarifying their own message? Like, I'm just curious to know the background there. Well, I like, I like nonprofits. Um, uh, they, uh, one of the reasons is, uh, the, the nerdy reason is that I actually get better data at a nonprofit because people that, uh, for instance, donate money or time generally have higher emotional resonance than someone that performs a transaction for goods or services. Mm. So I actually have uh, I have a lot uh, I have a lot more data breadth when I'm dealing with a, a nonprofit. Um, so that's a reason that we ultimately added it, added it to our our business um, as a business line, and I hired a, a, a consulting expert in that space to grow as, as a VP over that, to, to basically grow that sector. And um, it's very, uh, it's very important work. There are a lot of nonprofits that do the things that no one else will. And um, it's important to support them. And helping them identify and even differentiate themselves from other similar nonprofits so that they can more connect with people who have the same aligned value set mm. uh, is how you make them more sustainable, more efficient, and, and more effective. And um, I sincerely believe that you're, if you're, wherever your business is located, right, whether you're living somewhere or, or your business is physically located, which means your people live in that community, you are only as strong as the community in which you live. Uh, and, and that's true for many ways, right? It's not only being able to support your organization, but uh, being able to get people, you know, to hire. And uh, you have to, it is, I truly believe that if you're the head of any for-profit organization, it is your duty to help uh, support the community in which you live. And you can do that in any number of ways. You can do financial support um, or you can help those organizations um, through volunteerism, and, and that's something that's, that is something that we take incredibly seriously. Um, and I love being—I love sitting on boards. Um, I sit on very specific boards. Um, I have a very unique skill set that makes me um, uh, valuable 
for certain reasons, but I choose my boards very, very, um, uh, very carefully. So on all of those, you will find an executive director or someone that I believe I can learn from. Uh, one of the things I've learned, ironically, through the work that we do is, I don't know that much. Um, the, the, the world is full of surprises, and we, we, we have actually been trying to measure and keep track of the number of times that our instincts are right. And guess what? It's not only not very often, it's almost never. And it's a darn good thing that we follow the data because if we were just consultants and we were giving you our two cents, we would be wrong about 99% of the time. Mm. So a 1% success rate. Why is that? Is it because we're idiots? No, it's because we're, me- we're measuring incredibly uh, 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 complex, multivariate environments that we don't have a lot of experience in, right? Um, because you can only get so deep and you, know, you, you spend your whole life in a, in a particular sector, then you really start developing a lot of, a lot of expertise that you still don't really understand why people are the way they are because people are, who are different and they're weird and they don't, they don't do what they're supposed to many times. But um, anyway, uh, it's called parenting. I, 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 yeah, that would definitely sum up um, uh, my, my kid for sure. But, Anyway, I I, um, I have I have a mentor that 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 is specifically in nonprofits, and um, he helps me make sure that I understand what's important in the community and what's happening in Kansas City, and uh, has helped put me and place me on some boards that have been valuable, and um, it's good work. I, I I enjoy it. You can give back and and and, and help organizations be more effective. Because I'll tell you. Most of us aren't going to get out there and see homeless people, you know, but there are people that do it every day. Mm. So shouldn't we be empowering those people? I'm not going to save a dog. From, I'm not going to go out and like rescue a dog from an abusive environment. How the hell, where do I start? But people do that. They love it. And it doesn't pay a lot of money. So we have to figure out ways to help those people uh, to do the right thing, to make our, to make our community a better place to live. So great, man. Um, two, two things you, you touched on there that I, I want to poke on a little bit and, and ask some more questions around. One is you, you talked about this language of, of being surprised by the data. And, and I love, you know, kind of that natural curiosity that you're, you're sniffing down the trail to figure out where it exactly leads. I love that kind of visual. Um, but it made me think, did, do the majority or do some of your clients when you're I'm imagining a boardroom where you're presenting this data back to the leadership group or the CEO or the CMO or the VP of marketing or whatever combination thereof are they surprised by and large or do they are they like oh shit yeah of course we should have been saying this the whole time like what put us in that room the major like in in anecdotes of course but like how how surprised are your clients at the findings there's um it, 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 it really depends. Most of the time, and I say most of the time, meaning, I don't know what percent. Most of, most of the time. I don't know. The first time I came into my head was 80%. With very, with very few uh, uh, examples otherwise, there is a significant takeaway, something that no one saw coming um, in almost every study. That's one of the wow. things that keeps me, gets me out of bed. 
I know that I have the ability to find something that no one else was able to find and can give them insight and show them how they can take this information and uh, be more effective, more efficient, make more money, um, stop losing money. Um, that it happens way, way more than I actually remember the first time it didn't happen. I remember the, uh, it was probably study number maybe 30 or 40 where there wasn't something like totally crazy. And, and I'll never forget. We, we had the data deck and we were like, and I remember like, like being very nervous and like almost sweating going in. I'm not going to tell them anything they don't know. I mean, the CEO literally like laid out, here's what I think is happening. Here's what I think is going on. My COO doesn't think that here, but here's what I think. And, and I remember going, God, he was right on every, I mean, he was, he nailed every one of these things. Wow. And that just simply does not happen. Um, I mean, that's, that really has only happened maybe once or twice uh, other than that one time. I mean, there's a handful, well, I'd say less than a handful of, of times that that's actually happened. And I remember <laughs> like, what the hell was I going to do? I can give this guy's money back or something, right? And, and, uh, but for him, it so, was probably an incredibly validating investment. Even, even more so. Yeah, of course. He was like, and even he, he stood up when we showed that we had like a great reveal slide and we showed up, he stood up and he looked at his COO and he was like, I told you, I told you now can we go? <laughs> yeah. He's like, now can we go? And, um, and it was, it was actually, I, I, I left that meeting being like, Oh my God, that was even more valuable. And they were more energized that they were doing the right, that they were heading in the right direction and that they weren't, you know, they didn't have to like, you know, pivot or, or anything like that. But, um, for the most part, uh, in, in almost all engagements, like I said, maybe, maybe, maybe 75 or 80% of them, three or four, there is something that you have gotten really wrong. Like, the thing that one of the things we make, not all the time, but we'll make a leadership team and be like, all right, we're putting everything out there. What do you think is going to be the most important thing to your customers? Which, you know, here's all these value props. These are all the things you say. Which one's going to be in first? And they almost never get it right. Mm. Ever. Mm. We, stopped, we stopped measuring after the first like 100 studies, but only like two people had ever gotten them right. <laughs> and, and by the way, I can't, you, you can't tell a CEO that. Right. Uh, be, because I used to present that data. Like here, I actually show them the data. Here's the data, and they don't believe it because they don't believe that there's a 98 percent chance that they're wrong. Of course. Um, and and I'm like, well, it's a fact, but but um, okay. you know, I had to stop doing it because they <laughs> they simply just wouldn't believe it. That that is the reality. Fascinating, man. It's just so fascinating. I'm smiling so big right now because I'm like, this is this is a um, you know asking for a friend hypothetically. I wonder, I wonder what the CEO of a uh, little small emerging content marketing firm would get wrong 98 percent of the time, and and what he or she were saying again hypothetically. Um, well, here's a good exercise for whoever that person is. Here's a good exercise. Um, we we find most of the time that stuff doesn't necessarily come out of left field. It's not like, oh my God, I should have been making a totally different product. It's, I can't believe that, that this is the thing that was most important. Or I can't believe that this feature that we've been hanging our hat on is actually hurting us. Mm. So the, the way that you can start to get there is to write down what we call burning questions. In a perfect world, if you, were, if you could get any, like a crystal ball, 
what? I think that's what Crystal came up with her name, by the way, which is kind of a non, uh, uh, not very exciting product. But anyway, uh, the, uh, so basically just write down what are, what are, what are uh, we call burning questions? What are the things in a perfect world, if you could know the answers to those questions, you would be like, oh, thank God. Now I can move forward. What would those questions be? And the answer to those questions, those are the things that we find. And um, even if you don't have somebody like us uh, help you find those, it's a very valuable exercise either way. Absolutely. I'll get you started. No, that's Which great. messages are the most emotionally resonant? That's your starting point. Hmm. If you it. know that, you're going to make money. I love it. And, and, it, and it led me perfectly into the second question I had when uh, you were chatting a few minutes ago was... Um, I wonder if part of the struggle for, um, and maybe it's just me trying to be the 2%, not the 98, <laughs> which is a bad bet. Um, but by and large, most companies and certainly most kind of uh, lack of folks that are not very in tune emotionally with their audience and with their customers and with their clients and with their prospects, um, Make and maybe this is far too simple minded for a, a smart fella like you, but most companies suck at getting out of the boardroom and into Main Street, into why, like, as simple as, like, hey, your website shouldn't just keep talking about you, it should talk about them, it should talk about the people reading the words. And, and, and I think by and large, we, um, have, have witnessed this massive, like, revolution that in folks like you and firms like us that are helping usher companies into that reality. Right. And, um, I just wonder, I, I wonder if that's part of the reason there's so many ahas and why you will always have endless amounts of clients and prospects is because naturally it's really tough for us to get out of our own way and into the mind of our, like the empathetic view of, Hey, why the hell are these people buying from us? Why do they care? Why do they come back? Why are they visiting the website? Why are they doing the thing? Right. Um, I, I just, I think it's a hard skill or lesson for folks to learn at least, you know, again, maybe, maybe my own, um, therapy here that you're helping me with. <laughs> it's like, that's hard for me. It's hard for me to not make it about Justin. Right. Um, so how, how do you, well, how do you teach leaders to do that? Well, it is, it is hard. So what I'm doing is I'm saying, Hey, uh, you know, that house that you live inside, what color is it on the outside? You have no perspective. You can tell me all about the inside of the house. You know how you make the widgets and you know how long it takes. And, um, but I'm asking you something that you have no perspective on. Love it. And I, I believe perspective is one of the most important things in life. It's something that everyone needs and hardly anybody has. Um, and, and that's, that's, uh, uh that's one of the most valuable things. And when you say emotion, like I'm not suggesting that people go out and they, they need to talk about their feelings with people. That's, that's not how emotions, uh, that's not necessarily what I'm talking about. People have an emotional response to everything. Um, so if you're a boring company, like I would say a vast majority of our, our, our clients are you know, boring and manufacturers distribution, right? They, they do boring things, but that doesn't mean that they don't generate emotion. Um, if, uh, the, 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 we find sometimes that if you're in someone's supply chain, so let's say that you provide a product or a part of a product and an assembly for someone else to sell, um, 
you, that means you're part of their success. So you're incredibly important to them. So what do what can you do better, uh, or, or or what can you do to make yourself more valuable to those folks that buy your product or product uh, piece? And and let's say that your standard delivery time, let's say, is um, is five days from order to front doorstep for one of your uh, for one of your uh, your B two B company, and and, and that's and that's standard in the industry. So that's normal. You're on par, right? So that is an acceptable solution. So what if you did it in two days? Would that would that create a higher, uh, a more positive, emotionally resonant uh, response, or negative? Probably positive. So that means if you want to be more valuable, you can deliver that faster. Mm. Now you're not talking about somebody's feelings. You're showing up and you're saying, "Look, we can do it in five days." That's great. That's what everybody else does. We're busting our butt to try and get it to two. And if we can do that, we're going to have your business forever. Correct? All right. So here's what we got to do to get to two. And you say that and they'll be like, on board. yeah, okay. You can give me the two. I'll listen. What do you got? Right. Do you want me to change how we're doing something? Do you want to do a partnering model? I mean, like what? So that's what I mean. Emotional resonance is generated from anything. It can be something that is perceivably boring and not emotional. Um, there's a whole trick uh, that we've had to figure out doing that, but um, yeah. I love it, dude. I love it. We could we could go on all day. I've already kept you um, plenty past the the uh, the time here, and um, I hope I hope that and and we've talked about this privately, but I think there's lots of ways that you can help our work here, and 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 certainly um, grateful for the wisdom that you've uh, shared with us, man. We we end every show kind of the same. Uh, the same way with five fairly simple, straightforward questions. So it's maybe it's our own data set that we're building with all these smart people like you. Um, so <laughs> what's the uh, what's the last book that you read or listened to? The last book. So we have like a book club. Uh, so I'm uh, at any given time, I'm typically reading four books. So that means the last one that I finished. Uh, I think the last one I finished was called Giftology. Which was which what? was a recommendation, hmm. giftology. Go check that. Uh, which was that book was a recommendation from my my brain is too. I can't like read a book from beginning to end. It's a it's a horrible affliction. Um, <laughs> yeah, right now I have giftology, go, uh, and I just finished that. The hard thing about hard things. Ben Harlow's book. Um, I'm rereading pitch it. Rereading pitch anything. Uh, the Great Game of Business, and uh, I have one minute left on Talking to Strangers from Malcolm Gladwell, which means I finished Malcolm Gladwell. So maybe the correct answer Boom. is Talking to Strangers. Boom. Love it. And, and I, am, I am buying pitch anything. I already pulled it up on Amazon where we've been talking. Um, I love that. So what's uh, number two? What would you do right now if you weren't afraid, assuming a smart, intelligent, successful guy like you? What would I do right now if, if what? If you were not afraid. Is there something that you're like, man, if I, if I wasn't afraid of this, I'd do this. In business or life or? Either. Uh, in business, there's two people I would really like to hire right now. Uh, but I can't, it, I, don't, I don't have the, I don't basically have the cash flow to support hiring those two people. And I don't want to take on investment because I'm not giving up any equity. 
So that's a business thing. Cause there's two, there's, there's two sectors I want to go into. Um, one of them is, uh, sports. Uh, we have some pretty interesting things that we can do with, um, helping schools understand which, which, uh, what kind of student athletes they should be recruiting. Mm. And, and apparently there's no other data set like ours that, that, so that's one area I want to build on. Uh, personally, I'm, I'm really, dude, I'm not cool with heights. Um, I don't do well with heights. Uh, always been like that. Um, I, but I would like to jump out of an airplane. I ain't got to be badass. But I, I got a whole height thing. I don't like being in airplanes, period. So, um, I don't know. I don't know if I would feel better to jump out of a plane than I like planes. I don't know if I feel better or worse to jump out of one. Well, hi- hire those two people and then jump out of the plane on the same day. You'd just freaking crush it that day. That'd be a good day. That would, that would, that would be, that'd be, a, that'd be the most terrifying day ever. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. What's, what is your favorite t-shirt? Oh, that, that's easy. Um, so, uh, I have a, a black, uh, ZZ top t-shirt, uh, a, a real vintage one. And since I'm not in the office, we weren't in quarantine. I'm actually at my house. So go like look at it. I got it in Nashville. Uh, it's a John Barbados T-shirt, and that's like it's, it's it was like a hundred dollar T-shirt, which you can't tell you can't tell people that because you look like an idiot. But um, I love ZZ Top. We buy I love live music, and um, last time we were in Nashville, I saw it, and I was like, "That's mine." Buying it. That's yeah. awesome. That's definitely my, that's definitely my favorite T-shirt. Love it. That's a great story. My second my second answer is any any T-shirt that um uh that's made by my friend Chase McAnulty. That's my second answer. Uh, that's, yeah, Chase uh, Chase and I know each other a little bit through my days at the Chiefs. Um, so I, I'm, I've asked him to be on the show yet, and he has not accepted yet. He will. He's been a busy fella. Um, <laughs> what what is your favorite place on earth? Oh um. It's probably, I could probably, now it's totally biased because I haven't been to many of the places that I would want to, that I want to go. Uh, but I have been very fortunate to, to travel quite a bit. And I really, really, every time I'm in Italy, I love it. It has a lot of, um, it has a lot of the things that I'm into. I'm a huge data nerd um, and I'm a huge history nerd. And there is so much incredible history in Italy, you can't just help you trip over it. Um, and um, anything also that like over like old Ottoman empire, like there's a ton of really amazing stuff in Turkey, um, like ancient stuff that we still haven't uncovered. Mm. Like the, uh, I read the other day that they found a civilization that they uncovered that was intentionally buried by sand to preserve it. That is, uh, they're carbon dating it like something stupid, like 2000 years older than the oldest civilization that we knew about before. Jeez. So it's totally screwing with, with, with our timeline of, of, of humanity. Um, but I like, I like going, uh, you know, there's, I, thought, I have two vacations, in my opinion. You have one where you're essentially going to chill out where I can take my beautiful wife. We can go sit on a beach and do nothing to drink. And, um, 
the the second one is I want to go and really like experience history, and um, those are the only two vacations we really go on. That's so great. All right, man. Last one, um, a little little heavier. If you um, had to, well, let me let me phrase it this way: um, When it's all said and done, what do you want to be remembered for? Ooh, um, I, I want to be remembered as being good at my good at what I do and being helpful. Um, I uh, I think that if you're not good at what you do, you're not helpful. As a matter of fact, if you're not good, and good means really more like great. Uh, if you haven't got your your Malcolm Gladwell ten thousand hours in. Um, you're probably not good or even great, uh, mm. probably not great or even good at what you do, mm. which means you're not helping people. Uh, you're potentially hurting people. Uh, oh, so I try to get incredibly good at my craft. And, and when you can do that, you're helping people regardless, even if you're not trying. So whether that's educating people on how to do what you're doing and be better or, um, helping organizations. Um, I think helping organizations is more effective helping people because you, it, you achieve scale. Yeah, man. I love so, it. Um, well said. And Grant, you've, uh, you've been a, a big time, um, lift here, bro. It's, I'm, I'm grateful for your time and effort and wisdom and, and, uh, and you carving out some space for us. Um, if people wanted to, we, we plugged the site earlier, proofpositioning.com. Um, but where else could they find you or do you do the social media thing? Like where, where else can people kind of, digitally stalk you yeah i mean fortunately i have a really weird name so uh there's not you know if you google my name it'll it'll pop up and and you know there's lots of ways you can get in touch with me i'm i i'm a weirdo that answers almost every email it's a horrible affliction but um you'll see you can get in touch with me on my website you can direct message me on linkedin i'm probably going to respond unless you're trying to sell me financial services at which point i will ignore you <laughs> um, uh, but other than that, there's a, there's a lot of cool ways to approach me. I love it. Emotional research nerd armed with an MA background. Obsessed, obsessed with KC. I love <laughs> it. Um, man, you've, you've, uh, you've been a, a blast, my man. And I can't wait to catch up with you once we're, once we're legally allowed to hang out in the same place. Well, thanks for having me on. Um, I wish you and the show all the luck and, uh, uh, looking forward to hooking up later and, and drinking. <laughs> Sounds about right. All right, man. You, you take care, and uh, thanks again, Grant. Bye, right, bro. See you. Guys. See you. Guys.